This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost, October 24th, 2021, offered at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Greensboro, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Jesus meets Bartimaeus on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Not sure if I've talked about this with y'all, but before I came to work for Jesus full-time, as I like to call it, I was a lawyer... And I actually ended up in this part of the state moving up from Mobile to come to the law school at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Um, and, and so that's how I ended up here. And in thinking about this morning's Gospels and sort of the readings that we have been having over the past few weeks, um, it has reminded me in a good way of what it's like to be in law school. And and let me explain why. Law school is really all about questions. You learn to read cases. You study evidence rules and model codes. They make you buy big, heavy books that you have to tote around. You, You gain a lot of information, a lot of fancy words. But the real focus of law school is going to classes where the professor doesn't stand up and lecture to you. Instead, they ask you questions. And the class turns into this sort of ongoing dialogue between the professor and one student here and one student there discussing whatever the topic for the day is. Now, the fancy name for this is the Socratic method, which is attributed to the great philosopher Socrates, who apparently walked around the city of Athens being followed by his students, and he would ask them increasingly difficult and challenging questions as they considered sort of the great issues and ethics of the day, with the the intent being that through this sort of dialogue and questioning, his students would learn not just whatever the principle was, but how they would apply the principle. Now, I will say that my three years of law school was not quite as fun as I imagine it would be to walk around the city of Athens for three years, but it was about questions. And the key to the Socratic method, when you use it in a classroom, is a phrase that they call productive discomfort. Now, in law school, productive discomfort is called on or is created by the act of cold calling. So that means that any, when you walk into a class, it's not your assigned day to answer questions. All 120 of you are fair game for the professor to call on. And usually the class starts simply. You're asked to stand and state the basic facts of the case, who were the parties, what happened, who won, what's the basic holding of the case. But each question that the professor asks the students is moving them deeper into considering what the why of the decision was, and then ultimately to what that decision has to do with another case with a slightly different set of facts and different people that are involved. 
The point is to get the students to the point of asking a question where the student has to synthesize something, right? They have to not just regurgitate a fact or a quote on the page. They have to put this together in a new way, which usually demonstrates that they have new learning. Now, this questioning can be fun, right? It can be exciting, particularly when you're not the student that's being asked the question. Um, sometimes you do end up where you say something really smart that puts all the pieces together, or sometimes the questioning just gets to the point where the students don't have an answer, and that's okay, too. Doesn't feel comfortable in the moment, but it does mean that you sort of explored the depth of the conversation. Now, the reason why this sort of makes me think of this morning's gospel is it really makes me think of, we, we are at the very end this morning of chapter 10 of Mark's gospel, which is the very end of a section of Mark's gospel that we call the, um, the travel narrative. So way back in chapter 8, verse 22, to be precise, Mark starts telling us the story of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And a lot happens on that journey to Jerusalem. It starts with another healing of another blind man in Bethsaida. And when that blind man is healed, the way he finds his way to Jesus is there's a group of his friends that have taken him to Jesus and they beg Jesus, please heal this man. And Jesus puts saliva in his hands and touches the man's eyes and says, can you see and the man says, I can see some things. The people look like trees, but not clearly. And so Jesus touches them again. And then finally he can see. And then Jesus sends him away. Tells him, don't go back through the village, but you, you've got to go. And then that sets Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, where he's going to three times explain to the disciples what's going to happen there. And three times the disciples are going to miss the point. But he's telling them as they get closer and closer to Jerusalem that he will suffer and die and that he will rise again. But when you read these stories, you start to realize that each encounter that we've heard in the gospel reading over the past, I don't know, you know eight weeks, as long as we've been on the road to Jerusalem, Jesus is always asking questions. Right? We get the great scene where Jesus says to the disciples, Who do people say that I am? And then he says to Peter, Who do you say that I am? And Peter finally gets something right because he says, You are the Messiah. And then as he goes further along meeting people, he asks questions, you know, like, What can they give in return for their life? What are you arguing about on the way? Now that caught the disciples off guard because they were arguing about who was the most important amongst them, right? He asked, what is salt if it loses its saltiness? What is the, you know, the life of discipleship if you lose the essential nature of it? And then last week, we hear him talking to James and John, ask the question, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am to be baptized with? And like rather ill-behaved law students, James and John say, absolutely, because they don't understand what Jesus is telling them is going to happen in Jerusalem. But each of these questions, each of these questions that are either posed to the disciples or the people that meet Jesus on this journey to Jerusalem moves the people there and us as the readers 
further along into a deeper exploration of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. On the road to Jerusalem, Jesus is telling his disciples and telling us what it means to live and act like a disciple of Christ in the world, right? He's telling us that we create relationships that can't just be destroyed because we no longer want to be in relationship with each other. That even in our brokenness, we are bound to each other. That we are to live in a world where we welcome the weak and the vulnerable and that we value the joy and questions that children bring seeking to find deeper relationship with us and with each other. That we live in a world where we bring out the best in each other like good, well-used salt. A world where we're not controlled by our material possessions. A world where what we try to be first in is not an importance but in loving each other. And a world where our worship, what we do on Sunday mornings, affects what we do out in the world. That is the world of faith that Jesus reveals to the disciples and to us while he is on the journey to Jerusalem to the cross. And now at the very end, Jesus has gone to Jericho, the oldest city in the world, the place where the Israelites entered the promised land and marched around and made the walls fall down. Jesus has come to this place, and whatever happened when he was in town doesn't matter. It's what happens when he is leaving Jericho that the gospel writer tells us about. Because here he meets another blind man. The blind man does not have a group of friends or family to petition on his behalf. He's a beggar. The only possession of real value he has is his cloak that's wrapped around him. He has no friends, no wealth. But interestingly enough, the one thing he does have is a name, Bartimaeus. It's the only person that Jesus meets on the road to Jerusalem in these chapters that is named in the gospel. Bartimaeus learns that it is Jesus of Nazareth passing by and calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now to us, maybe that's not a big deal. We're used to thinking of Jesus as the son of David, right? We can think ahead to Christmas when we sing the Christmas carols and we talk about going to Bethlehem. But in Mark's gospel, remember, there is no birth narrative, right? There is no oh, little town of Bethlehem. There's just Jesus encountering John the Baptist. So the only time that we know that Jesus is the son of David is when the blind man on the road outside of Jericho says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's blind Bartimaeus that somehow is able to see and proclaim what the disciples had missed all this time. That Jesus, the son of David, is the new king of God's kingdom. Now before this, Jesus had been called a prophet. He had been called a Messiah by Peter. And now Bartimaeus finishes what Jesus has been trying to reveal is that he is king. Now the followers around Jesus tell Bartimaeus to be quiet. He's making a racket really close to where there's going to be a lot of Romans and authority figures. And the crowd still doesn't want Jesus to go to Jerusalem to be arrested and killed. But Jesus knows where he was going, knows what is to happen. And Bartimaeus knows that Jesus is the man that can save him and calls out again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
See, what Bartimaeus had in that moment that the other followers of Jesus didn't is that he was ready for the question that Jesus was about to ask him. He was so ready that unlike the rich young man a few passages back, he can throw off the only possessions that he has, which is his cloak. He can spring up even though he cannot see and can find his way to Jesus so that Jesus can then ask him, what do you want me to do for you? This is the second time Jesus has asked this question. He asked James and John that question, and they said, well, we want the good seats in your glory. When everything, when the hard stuff is done, we want to sit at your right and your left. And Jesus says, that's not mine to give. But Bartimaeus hears that question. Even though he can't see, he knows who is in front of him. And he hears that question and he says, I want to be able to see again. And unlike the first healing where Jesus had to touch the man and the the purpose of the healing is to show the power of Jesus, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And Bartimaeus can see. And instead of that first blind man who was sent away, was sent to not go back into the village, was sent away from Jesus. This gospel reading tells us that Bartimaeus follows Jesus on the way. That Bartimaeus, who threw off his cloak to spring up to go and meet Jesus, goes with Jesus to Jerusalem. That's the next stop. That's the next place we go into the gospels. Goes to Jerusalem where Jesus is greeted by the crowds as the king, the son of David. With those people throwing their cloaks and waving palm branches and welcoming their king into Jerusalem. Bartimaeus was ready to see who Jesus was and was ready to answer the question that would change his life. He was ready to listen to the question and answer it, knowing that the question from Jesus, the son of David, the prophet, the healer, the Messiah, the Savior, would allow him to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. And as we come to the end of sort of this travel narrative, we'll sort of skip back around. We're not quite ready for Palm Sunday, right? We've got to go through Advent and Easter. And so this sort of leaves us partway with the story, but it leaves us with a very real question. If Jesus is about asking questions, what is the question that Jesus is asking us now? Are you ready, like Bartimaeus was, to see Jesus And to run towards him and be ready for the question that he is going to ask you. A question that very likely is going to change your life. We come here each Sunday, right? To meet Jesus and each other. To meet Jesus in scripture and song and prayers and preaching. To meet Jesus in the bread and wine of the Eucharist. And Jesus is here because he has a question which is, What do you want for me to do for you? How can I change your life? How can you see and experience me as your prophet, your Messiah, your King, and your Savior? Are you ready for the healing that I can offer? What do you need help of letting go of? 
What do you need Jesus to do so that you can follow him on the way? Amen.